Welcome back to System Minutes Trivia, the podcast where Jathan just makes me want to slit my wrists. This is Brent. I'm an asshole in a closet. And I'm Peyton. Oh my god. So, like, I don't know what it is this week. I was having a really great day yesterday, and then today, literally like 30 minutes ago, 45 minutes ago, uh, maybe an hour ago, whatever it was, Jathan's like, he said something, and I was like, oh, alright, I guess I better update the site, and then I go and check the site, and it's, oh, fuck you, Jathan. <laughs> He just said a reminder for Syspot in one hour to tell me to lighten up. I'm lighting the fuck up. I am a fucking ray of motherfucking sunshine. Yeah, Anyways, yeah, yeah. So he tells me to check something, and I'm like, all right, I'll, I go to do it. And then I find out that the recently set up VPN I created for System Distribute for internal stuff was broken. And I'm pretty sure it has to do with recent shorewall changes to the config wasn't reading it wasn't properly setting the packet forwarding automatically and it used to do that so i understand why they would make the change but it still came to me because i wasn't expecting it anyway so i spent like a good 30 45 minutes fixing that which put me in a terrible mood and then we finally all jump on and then pain was telling me i've got some kind of delay so i had rebooted and all that trying to figure out what was going on there because it wasn't my network seemed to have gotten that sort sorted and then jathan comes on and he just fucking kills my soul so Okay, to be fair, I was having a really good day yesterday, and today sucked ass, so I'm just bringing everyone down with me, and that seems reasonable. No, it's not it's reasonable. Not. Okay, well, I also was not bringing you down. I told you about the site before we started recording, which was the responsible thing to do. I appreciate it. I'm glad you did. But that, I would have I would have been over that by now. But when we when we all hopped into mobile for the pre-meeting, that's when the shit hit the fan. So oh. guys, you're in you're in for a ride. It's going to get emotional. And Everyone I hope that hates you're, me. That's just how it is. Oh my gosh. No. No. <laughs> no. Welcome to Therapy Administrivia. This is Brent. I'm the patient. <laughs> let's, just, let's just fucking get on with it, shall we? You guys just want to want to get on with this? Yeah. Okay. Just get on with it. We gotta get high energy. Actually, that's done. Because I've been on both of y'all's cases. Get right. Okay. All right, we can do this. Listen, I'm great. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I'm having the best day ever. Well, great. <laughs> Fuck off with your cheer, asswipe. Whoa. That's uncalled for. <laughs> See, that's the kind of shit I'm talking about, dude. He's no, no, mad. no, no, he's, there's no excuse. No excuse. I don't want to hear it. You know why he's that mad? He's just fucking shit. around, dude. I'm talking about You know why God. he's mad? Is because I made a perfectly true statement that happened to be about him and he got mad. Who? You. Me? Yeah, I said. When? I literally said, we put Brent in charge of operations and shit breaks. The VPN was One broken. Shit broke. So I didn't and say. And it wasn't my fault. I didn't say it was your fault. I just said it breaks. You're implying it was my fault. Uh, yeah. As if but... you would have done any better. As if you would have half the services up that I do. Oh, by the way, uh, I launched Ars- a Narsync mirror. Oh, oh my uh, yeah, god. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. I what? just thought of something. What? I'm finally delivering on a promise from S0. What's that? <laughs> my website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. It only oh, took shit. you fucking three seasons. Two and an eighth. <laughs> okay. <sighs> All right. Asshole. <laughs> That's still two fucking years, dude. That's not that bad. That's it's, terrible. It's pretty good. <laughs> you know how long it would have taken me to spin up a website I promised to do? Two days. Well, your promises mean more than mine, obviously. Oh obviously. my gosh. Anyway, so first before we get into it... Wait a second, I have an idea. No, wait for it. I'm drinking Bullet. Who else is drinking what? We're cruising through this. Somebody say. I am drinking Avalanche Amber Ale. By Breckenridge Brewery. Peyton, what are you drinking? I have the Irishman. It's small batch Irish whiskey, and I've got it in some soda here, some diet soda, and it's it's actually kind of good. Great. Not complaining. Announcements. I've got our sync up. It holds a mirror of audio, <laughs> GPG signatures. <laughs> it has a export of our show notes in Markdown, HTML, and plain text. Or no, Markdown, HTML, and PDF. I also have a mirror of the. POC or get the fuck out. Proof of concept or get the fuck out. Hacker easing. I have a mirror of that as well. It updates every six hours, so you should have a copy within six hours of release. If you want to cron and check that and just rsync against our mirror, that's fine. I'm the only rsync mirror of POC or GTFO that I know of. 
So, you know, there's that. I also have a web interface to the R-Sync. I've got blog posts about them. You can read about them there if you need more information. Jathan, go. Sign. Yeah, my website's up. It was generated using Lecter and a bootstrap theme. I've been told that I'm some kind of bitch for making a static site, so I've already started the beta version that will be dynamic. Fuck you all for fucking shitting on me for finally standing it up. Wait, wait, wait. Who told you that? Oh, man, you'll have really to go good. back and read, but Brent, mostly. Because you asked for criticism, and I told well, you what yeah. I didn't like about it. <laughs> That's not exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. You said, hey, what did you guys think? That's exactly Link. what happened. I said, Jathan, this is what I think. Anyway, it is. Uh, it was fun to work with Lecter. I'm losing my fucking mind. <laughs> One other quick okay, plug. Fun to, fun to work with that shit, yeah. My hackathon website, hackathon.colorado.edu, has all of the projects up. If you are interested in coming to Boulder for a couple days in May, we need R programmers, we need some front-end developers, and we need Python programmers. So you should check it out and sign up if you want. I cannot guarantee anyone a spot. But if you sign up, you should let me know, and I will do everything I can to help you. And that's all I got. Unless you want me to talk more about Lecter, but... So, Jason, if I wanted to join the hackathon, yeah. and I went to the site, would I have all uh, my questions answered? Unless you're a particular <laughs> person who asks stupid fucking questions, I think so. You are still so salty about that. <laughs> oh my god, I want to just fucking toss my mic against the Dude, wall. Dude, you... You hold on the grudges like nobody else I've ever seen. I'm taking a shot of vodka. <laughs> I thought I had like a, like a... All in all, it was probably like 15 minutes of just back and forth bickering, I guess, between him and someone else on IRC. And that was like two weeks ago, and he still hasn't let it go. I don't give a fuck. I don't let shit go unless you, it wait, wait, wait. to be no, like No, 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 no. Not giving a fuck and not letting things go are polar opposites. They are the exact opposite of each other. I don't give a fuck about letting go. <laughs> that doesn't count. You should be like Elsa just and let just it go, let it go, buddy. Gotta... You know what I'm going to do? Go. I'm going to listen to Phil Collins when this let is all go. said and done. Let it go. <laughs> that doesn't, that's not Can't hold it back anymore. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better now that I got to rag off <sighs> Jason a little bit and, and remind him of that incident that happened. So, Well, it's not like I forgot. <laughs> I know, but it's just funny to experience your reaction over and over again. Uh, part of it's because you don't forget. Like, you hold on to that shit and you just let it bubble up. And This is why he's emo, by the way. So, he's an <laughs> elephant? I guess. Is, is there such a thing as, like, an emo elephant? Are elephants emo? Is Eeyore an elephant? Jathan, no, Eeyore's a fucking emo. Oh, he's a donkey. <laughs> he's an ass. Jathan is definitely an well, ass. Yeah, I was going to say, I have some similarities to him, too. Touche. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for news? Yeah, we should probably get into it. Yeah, let's yeah, let's go to the fucking news. It's been we're in, we're in 9 minutes in already, so. Ah, who gives it? <laughs> Our listeners. This is pain with the news. Did, 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 you. <laughs> go. Just go. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> All right. So the first bit of news we have is that Microsoft websites make up seven of the top 100 websites, the most of any tech or internet company. Now, this is from Visual.ly, which is a, uh, we'll have the link in it's here. It's probably a Microsoft website. Why <laughs> <laughs> run an IS? But I just thought this was interesting because, uh, you know, the number of sites that they had there. The next bit of news that we have is about Docker. Mm. 24% of the latest Docker images have significant vulnerabilities. Wow. Why is this special? Well, come on. Who didn't see that coming? (laughs) Yeah, Well, I'd be curious to know what that actually means. Like, usually they contain packages that have critical vulnerabilities? No, it's how they configure the templates. Mm -hmm. So, like, most of them that I've seen are privilege escalations to the host where they configure the containers because it's for developers you know and they don't want to fuck around with like firewall fuck rules around. and yeah, important things like pub key with, off you know. <laughs> so they just set them up with like default root passwords and ssh enabled and bullshit and then usually there's a way to traverse from a docker instance up to the host because they containerize it instead of virtualizing it like they fucking should. So, oh, and plus, if you've got, like, really important IP on your container that you're developing, an attacker has access to that too, I guess. So <laughs> so just don't. Just don't. Yeah, <laughs> just all. don't. I'm gonna leave just don't. Sorry, so, keep going. Yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, we'll have a link for that as well. That's, I mean, that's still pretty significant. So watch your Docker mm. images there. 
I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but Munich has been notorious, not notorious, I should say, but uh, maybe the forefront in open source software. And the man who runs Munich's central IT says that there is no practical reason for the city to write off millions of euros and years of work to ditch its Linux-based OS for Windows. Now, they had been expected to swap Linux for Windows, but the man who runs their, the guy who runs their uh, IT said, hey, that's not... That's not a good idea. We shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said there's been all seen any compelling technical reason for a change to Mark Windows and Microsoft Office. Now, this is Carl Heinz Schneider, and he was talking to the German publication Heise. Heise? H-E-I-S-E. Yeah. And, well, for... Oh, go ahead. I I try... So they use a distro called Linux. That's L-I Mike uh, U-X. Yeah, it's, it's just for them, right? Like it's Yeah, and I was, I so. I was hoping that... They had like a an ISO or something I could download to check it out. Just cause mostly out of curiosity, because like I like seeing how these nation states implement this kind of stuff. But I couldn't find one. Granted, I only looked for like three minutes, but I couldn't seem to find an ISO in- anywhere of it. So well, that's longer than most people spend on the internet looking for uh, answers to their questions. <laughs> that's true, Jathan. And it's a lot longer than Jathan does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish we did video sometimes. Why? Because you're flipping us off. Fuck yeah, I am. Of course you are. All right, keep going. Flipping the bird. Flipping the bird. Uh, So we just reported on GitLab having an issue with their databases. This is not really related to that. However, they were considering moving to bare metal instead of staying in the cloud. They have just, again, decided against doing that because it makes sense for them to operate that way. And they want to focus on building software, not on running infrastructure. As people who run infrastructure can tell you, it's a giant pain in the ass. Why? Hmm. Why do they call it the cloud instead of just virtualization uh, i don't know I, I don't know is are they uh, synonymous because then I've, I've got a cloud in my room if that's so i've got a vm I've, lab i've got two clouds in my room yeah here. so like it <laughs> like, must be raining where payton's at uh, yeah yeah so many clouds and lightning i just i hate that like the cl- the word cloud means nothing i don't know whatever whatever well <laughs> you know where they got it from was was when you did it diagrams you draw a cloud for the internet right you know yeah like i understand the etymology of it but like i know, I know it has no actual <laughs> meaning now is it just the internet right. because where the fuck I, else would they run their bare metal it, they're all telecommute they don't have a physical pre- they don't have a physical point of preference to my to my knowledge right so they can't have an in-house dc yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I, I don't know that they would have an in-house DC. So they would just rent physical servers. What's the you big know what difference? We should do. You know what we should do is we, we know somebody who works for. GitLab, that's true. And we should bring them on and ask them questions. <laughs> Jason, would you want? That? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to do it. I had. To I will it. be out sick that day. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that's fine. So next we have malware has been found pre-installed on 38 Android phones used by two companies. I saw this and I thought we would go ahead and introduce it. And would you be surprised what they are? Apple. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Jathan. For the record, Samsung features prominently in this list. Mm -hmm. Prominently. No shit. So yeah, don't buy Samsung. I've been against Samsung for a long time, but uh, hey, whatever. Next, in how can we fuck up your lives even more, the British ISP TalkTalk blocks control tool TeamViewer. So they did this to stop scammers from fooling people into using the software and handing over their PCs. That's a bit like saying, no, you can't drink this, go away. You know, that's... I look. But the UK is like that, though. I mean, they're very very much a nanny state, in my opinion. Okay, not to offend listeners in the UK, first of all. Listen, you know. Okay, Peyton doesn't care if he offends you. I'm not trying to offend you. America. You know, that's kind of one of those things, though. Like, you know, in the U.S., we say people have to wear a seatbelt so that people don't fall out of their fucking car in a car accident. Is it like a well-being thing? Where do you draw that line? I personally fall on the side that if you want to use fucking TeamViewer, and if you're dumb enough to get fucking compromised in that way, you probably deserve it, but... Well, here's here's what. So I can actually get behind this because the number of people who use TeamViewer, presumably on TalkTalk, which is like a residential IP ISP, I don't think they even offer a business plan, right? I'd, I'd have to I'd have to look into I, that. UK I listeners, know, yeah. if you want to holler at us and let us know, that'd be great. But I'm pretty sure they're mostly, or at the very least, primarily residential. And the number of residential users that would be using TeamViewer intentionally is very very small but the number but, of scammers that are like pulling this scam and i've you can go on youtube and see people doing it you know it's astounding so like anything to cut that down yeah i understand why they do it what they should do 
And really, like, residential ISPs should do this in the U.S. with, like, mail servers, with SMTP servers, too. What they should do is let you call in and say, look, I know what I'm doing. Can you whitelist me for this service? But they're not going to do that. They're They're not going to, but they should. It would be a good compromise, especially because if somebody has the forethought to call about it, they probably aren't really just fucking around with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this happened to my this happened to my my dad actually. He was trying to install mm. Office somehow, and I have no idea how this happened. But he got <laughs> well. One thing led to another. All of a sudden, yeah, yeah, he got <laughs> compromised, and he, he called me and says, and and no offense to my dad, my dad is a great guy. He's not very uh, computer inclined, which mm. is fine. He can build a house though, which is great. He says, "Do IPs expire?" And I said, "Dad, what are you talking about?" And he says, "Do IPs expire?" And I said, "I said no, they don't expire." And he says, well, this guy on TeamViewer is telling me that they do. And I'm mm. like, "Stop, disconnect, yeah, close the computer, turn it off, take it back where you got it from." He's like, mm. "But I just wanted expire. Microsoft Office." And I was like, "I was like, well, okay, but you know, that's not what he asked me, you know, yeah. like." And I don't want to get into the whole DHCP and leases and that yeah, was yeah, because it's, it's a hole you don't want to go down. But like, even then, that's but, the lease itself that expires. It's not the IP right, right, address. Right, yeah, right, right, right. So, I mean, the long story short is that they were trying to get Microsoft Office installed and somehow some Indian scammer got a hold of them through TeamViewer and compromised the system. Mm. Now, thankfully, he didn't have anything on it because it was brand new. Mm. But I was like, Dad, call me next time. I'll get you Microsoft Office. No problems. You guys want to see something really funny? And I'm bummed because this has never happened to me. Like, I've never gotten one of their calls. Usually they'll cold call you. Or yeah. you'll, they'll have, like, a pop-up saying, you need to call this number right now. I don't get them. Probably because I use Adblock and NoScript and stuff. But I've been switching over to Ublock, so. But, yeah, so that, that's probably why I don't get them. But I, I definitely I want one so bad. And then I want to throw them in, like, a React OS or even just a Linux VM. Just give them access only to that. Because I've got my VM lab locked down, you know, and, and all that. So I, I, I can do it safely. And I just want to watch them fumble through it. And maybe have 42.zip available for them to uh, click on. Maybe <laughs> rename that to bank passwords. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's, and it's, that's, that's fantastic. Or set it up as, like, <laughs> set my wallpapers like, Goatsy or something. Like, well, I uh, I just want to I, fuck with them so bad. Well, they can they can disable that remotely. They can disable your remote right. Remote, so yeah, with TeamViewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I had a call actually, and not to deviate too much from the news, but I had a call mm-hmm. more than a few years ago that my Outlook account had been compromised, mm-hmm. and so I of course played the the dumb guy and I said it's been compromised. Maybe we should call the FBI. The guy's like, no, 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 sir. We don't need to. No, no. And I'm like, no, no. We need to call the FBI. This is bad. This is a cyber crime. I need to. And I kept doing that, and he kept. Yeah. You know, saying no, no, no. And then finally he just hung up because I wasn't letting it go. Mm. But uh, it was kind of funny, actually, because he just kept, like, you know, trying to get me to log into my account and do something or other. I don't know. But uh, back to the news. Microsoft, once again, in our news. Mm. I don't know why we keep talking about Microsoft, but. <laughs> so oh, I know. It's because they put ads in their Windows 10 File Explorer. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. No, it's Peyton. It's not ads. It's feature announcements. <laughs> the, the worst part is i'm not even shitting you like they actually used a phrase similar to that if not that exactly and if you open if you open chrome it says that edge is faster and uses less yeah. battery yeah. or power or whatever i'm just like why why would you use windows 10 at this point why is that even necessary it's a travesty it really is and that's paper the news but i'm bumped mm, great great <laughs> That was fantastic. That was some good news there. It was. It was cruising. So we've got we've only got two points of discussion. I've been trying to keep it two because that's about usually the amount we can hit before that hits our mark pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So the first one is going to be pretty quick, I think. But it's largely opinion based, and usually when we go into like opinion based stuff, it stretches out for a while. So we'll see. So on Slashdot, and you know, of course, as always, we'll link to it in the notes. There was an Ask Slashdot where someone asked if password rules are bullshit. And there there were some good back and forths about it. You know, like I find myself trying to read both sides where it wasn't just straight up like trolling and typical Slashdot bullshit. But I read through the comments and I was like, "Eh, yeah, I see your point. You know, and then I would read the other point. I was like, yeah, but that's true too. So my personal stance on this is... They are not bullshit when they're implemented well and implemented correctly. So I actually have a lot to say about this as soon as you're done. Yeah, I'm going to keep it pretty quick. But I think I can roll mine up. Have strong requirements, but don't set those as gospel. In other words, like... Also, go ahead. What? 
Well, I was just going to say, for what it's worth, I'm going to stay kind of quiet here, but we did talk about this pretty extensively in an episode. We talked about password rules, and I think what our conclusion was generally mm. was, you know, maybe be a little bit looser on your password policy, but enforce more frequent changes. Yeah, and I'll link to that episode, too, because that was some really good discussion we had there. Yeah, that, that's the thing. is We covered it very in-depth there. I started with, oh, what was it? Was it the NIST? Somebody somebody made, like, some official recommendation to not rotate passwords. Uh, yeah, there was. Yeah, there was, like, NIST. A, was it NIST? I think they so. They basically I, said I, that, I it, was that it caused more yeah. issues or yeah, something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Something like that. Or not proven effective or something. Whatever. And we talked about it. We talked about it at great length, and we, we went but into... But it's, it's still... Yeah, yeah, we went into what makes a good password policy. But here, we're talking about not so much, like, control over your infrastructure, like employee logins and stuff, which is mostly what that was centered around. This is for, like, websites. And they've got, you know, like, uh, must contain an upper and lower character and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, great. I understand why they do that. But you can have, like, I don't know, like, just pick any fucking random sentence and then get a base 64 of that and instantly you've got like a super long incredibly hard to brute force kind of a thing you know like there's a bunch of different ways you can do to make a really good totally random password but the problem with randomness is it's not guaranteed to fit the guidelines in that password policy part of randomness means it can be all lowercase or it can be all the number nine to reference that Dilbert comic you may have seen you know (laughs) so like is it truly random? We'll never know. But that's that's the well, point, though. Technically, you could randomly hit. Yeah, all yeah, numbers. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Technically, I it, likely it that it's not actually random, but you won't know because it's just possible. Now, granted, of course, with each nine in the sequence, <laughs> the sort of trust I guess you can have in that entropy generator might be a little bit low, but. Yeah, I don't know. I still don't really have a firm opinion one way or the other. I like the idea behind password policies. I like what they do for users, but they also kind of encourage users to just write them down on post-it yeah. notes and stuff. And, you know, so I don't know. That's where I stand on this. And I'm, I would say I'm firmly undecided. <laughs> what about y'all? Peyton says he has a lot to say. So I got to sit through a class today about Password Vault that we're implementing mm-hmm. at work. And I, I can't go into too many details. Right. However, the Luminous is 15 characters there are some apps obviously that of course that that use eight mm. i found it vastly amusing to sit there and listen to the wait 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 that, that eight and 15 are those min limit or max limit i refuse to comment the grounds that may occur. okay oh, okay let's just say that they're a limit no and we'll go from there okay so we're, we're supposed to be using this at some point it's gonna be implemented but it was a bunch of the same thing where it's an uppercase a symbol a number but then there were restricted characters because you know some apps don't respect the at sign and some technology respects whatever it was just mm. like really like this is so complex that you are literally gonna have to use a randomly generated number in the future no matter what you do to be able to mm. use this tool. You can't just come up with a uh, with a password on your own, and I guess the policy is so complex you right, need to take a right. class on it. <laughs> but but this to me is annoying because passwords should not be hard to remember. And I really like mm. the XKCD thing, correct course battery stable. I know that's not a good password as far as like complexity because it's obviously mm. dictionary words. But it's not, you know, it's not freaking... Password 1. It's not password 1. It's not A, like in the website is down. But it's also not <laughs> correct with C044, you know, the, the lead speak style of, of mm-hmm. complexity. Like, that doesn't work for everyone. Like, some people... Like, if you make a password too complex and with no place to actually access it, they're going to put it on their keyboard or behind their monitor or whatever, you know? I mean, it's mm. just not... In my opinion, it's not worth the effort to go that far to yeah. make it that complex. Like, and another thing too, I, I, I sorry, I just thought of this, no, but it's fine. a really good point to make with password policies. Mm-hmm. If the attacker knows that policy, yeah. he can greatly reduce oh, the God, amount yeah. of passwords he needs to brute force, yeah, or even so. generate a dictionary from it if that policy is restrictive. Enough. Right, exactly. Exactly. Hashcat is a great example of this. They've got a really great like rule system, like a rule language basically. Yeah. It's it's almost like Turing complete. It's a really good language. And that is that, that's a great point. The more complex your policy is, the easier it is, is to brute force, ironically yeah. enough, because yeah. it 
lessens the padding for that character space. So Right. I mean, that's the whole point that if you make it so complex that people have to write it down and put it on note on keyboards and stuff. And I mean, we're kind of mm-hmm. deviating a little bit from this, but yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that I had to go to a class today to learn how to create a password <laughs> in a password vault is ridiculous. Much. Much, 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 you know? And, I mean, of course, you know, you're not supposed to use the same password for everything. Whatever. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as the statement, are password policies good ideas or are password rules bullshit? I mean... You can make them as complex as you want, and then you can go to the LPIC LPIC site and buy a test. And then when it says you have to use an uppercase, you do, and it disallows it because you have an uppercase. That's kind of annoying. Like, a lot. And I'm I'm using the LPIC site, but it's LPARS or whatever. uh, Pearson, the only one. Right, exactly. Or the website that says use however many characters you want, and then it only uses eight, the first eight. Like, you know, Mm. like... Like like VNC the bank the well the bank that we Deutsche Bank right you know yeah so I mean in my opinion if password rules are bullshit unless they're set up correctly having them sure. set up correctly means that you know if you say you need to use something you use it and you follow it you know you don't make a limit being max limit being fifteen and this is an example not yeah you know but you don't make a max limit of fifteen you make a max limit of fucking 100 you know what was that mm-hmm. what was that vulnerability where if you put too many characters in it would print out the next line that was three years ago two years ago in what software it was all over the internet <laughs> oh well that I, explains it that one i'm, I'm not <laughs> i'm, I'm not sure if, if you find it let me know and i'll put it in the show yeah i'll, I'll look errata, and, but but i mean the point of the vulnerability was that you know you when you have a box that has 20 characters and you put 25 in, it pushed the, the other characters that were in there out and, mm. like, made them available so you could see them. Like, it was, mm. you know, hmm. uh, I, I don't know. I'll try to look it up, whatever. But yeah. I feel like, you know, password rules can be bullshit unless they're set up correctly. And that's yeah. that's my philosophy. That's my opinion. And the hard part, of course, is correctly part because it's, it's well, going to change everywhere. You have, you know, it all depends on context. Yeah, you have users that, you know, password one. Password 2, mm. Password 3, Password 4, you know, and they're up to yeah. fucking Password 150 now at this point. Like, they've <laughs> never changed anything but the last digit or last digits. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that, that person, I don't want, I don't work with that person because they're not doing a good job of securing their information. And they may think, oh, well, nobody's going to have access to it. Bull fucking shit. And you go home and you look at a fucking Pornhub and you don't have Adblock on your system because your, your Windows administrators don't let you install software and they refuse to install Adblock. Guess what? You have a problem, you know? Why did you use Pornhub as the example? Well, I probably because you brought it up in yeah. the pre-meeting. Yeah, jackass, <laughs> asshole, yeah, dick. Jason, you're you're being quiet. What do you mm-hmm. have to say on this? I really don't. I mean, um, the thing is, is I mean, I'm all in favor of having some sort of password policy, but I think that education is really better than a password policy. Like, I think taking the time to sit down and talk with a group of your users and say, "Look, this is what makes a pretty good password, and this is why," and really explaining it is going to get into them more than enforcing a password policy, which you know, as we've discussed here, just pisses people the fuck off, right? That's not mm-hmm. to say you shouldn't have any, right? Your password shouldn't be a string of simple characters or something like that. But, right. but realistically, I think it's a two-part thing. I think a password policy is one thing, but that should be pretty loosely defined. I think a minimum length is good. I think specifying that there has to be at least one capital letter, one lowercase letter, and then like a special character or a number, I think that's okay. But at the end I of the think... day, I I think doing something like that, a very minimal password policy, and then having like a page that all users have to read and understand or something like that mm. is a better option. And I understand for yeah. for all of us, They're that not... wouldn't necessarily I mean, be an option. But Have you read like a EULA in its entirety ever? Only Apple's. <laughs> Okay, but, like, you get my point? Like, they're not going to read it. They're just going to click, okay, yeah, I read it. Right, right. So right. I don't think that's going to well, be it a, a proper so, way of doing it. Well, no, I mean, yeah, you can, like, quiz them well, on that's or something. It. But at that point, that's how draconian do you want to get with this? I think it's a worthwhile thing, though. I mean, if you could, let's just say every user had to take, like, read a one-page, single-space, 12-point font, right? A typical page article about password security and why it was important. They're not going to read it. No, shut the hell up and let me finish. 
if they have to read that and then answer, let's just say, three to five questions about it, let's say that takes them mm-hmm. 25 to 30 minutes, but let's say their account gets compromised and then somebody in the IT office, so first they have to realize it. Mm-hmm. Second, someone in the, you know, the IT office or whatever, depending where you work, however your organization structure is, you know what I mean? They have to trace that down. They have to see if there are any unauthorized logins. They have to meet with the person to unlock their account or whatever the case might be. You're spending more than a half hour doing that kind of thing. Well, my point is, they may read it and they may read enough of it to pass the quiz but they're not going to retain it because they don't care you can't intrinsically make people care yeah. about something whether you educate them on it or not mm-hmm. so that's they may they're not going to take it to heart right so you're still going to be requiring these 30 minutes of each employee and you're also still going to be doing the more than 30 minutes of cleanup when it gets comp- when they get compromised. So that's not really a good solution I think in my book, but I think we do have a good answer for this. Pretty well, pretty well, hold on. Pretty lax password policy. Like it may be minimal, you know. I, like, I wouldn't call it lax. I would just say Well, hold on. So lax password policy and multi-factor authentication. Oh, we God. can't do biometrics. Well, oh, absolutely. Hold on. Yeah, we can't we can't do biometrics because biometrics are broken. I mean, yeah, I would call them really useless are. at this they, point. They really are. Yeah, but there's a lots of a lot of other things like token based multi factor authentication would be perfect for this. Yes, because it's something that you control, not the user, and it's something that isn't static. So it's going to change each time. Or like yeah, one time passwords or something. So it doesn't. The point is, you'd want to circumvent that possibility of them writing it down. And I think at that point, if you have a password that they write down so they can remember it, yeah, fine, whatever. There's going to be people who do that no matter what. Or they're going to like write it on their hand or something. They're going to... Regular users aren't going to care about security. They care about getting their job done, period. Whether security, as we see it, is a part of their job or not, they don't see it that way. And we can't make them care about that. Nor would I want to try to, because it's a futile effort. And that's okay. I think I think it's important to acknowledge that that is okay. We don't need people to be infosec nerds. And it may be important that they keep secure. And if we can implement security for them in such a way that they don't need to care about it, they don't need to do it themselves, yeah. but it's not going to be a hindrance to them, that's like the golden standard. That's the golden ticket right there. Yeah. And yeah, multi-factor is, I'll admit, kind of a pain in the ass but yeah but it's the best we've got right now passwords mm-hmm. are the best thing we have right well, now in terms and it, of single auth and i, th- when I that still breaks. think it's a perspective thing yes it's a pain in the ass but it's sure. less of a pain in the ass than resetting all of your you know 90 fucking passwords when you get compromised right but we're the ones doing that it well no i'm yeah i mean sometimes no, but in not like all the time. if you get compromised in an it though, environment if you get compromised though it shouldn't be all of your systems well well, that depends, That's, though. I mean, what if depends, what if you use something like Active Directory for a central authentication scheme? That's true. Right. Yeah. But like the point That's is, actually when something that we have never really talked about is, yeah, yeah well, is well, Active Directory or something similar a bad idea for that reason? We can. Well, I mean, at that point, it's like single sign-on kind of a thing. But it's just it's more so like the it's a ground you got to tread because you're not you're never. Never, ever. I'm going on record saying this. You're never going to make users care about security. Regular users that aren't part of the quote-unquote nerd departments, operations, development, you're not going to make them care about it, period. And it doesn't matter how much perspective you throw in their face, all the CEOs say, all the CEO sees is, you mean now I have to p- use this key fob and my password? Yeah. That's all he sees. Yep. So you need to break it down to what's important to them, but just enough to keep their interest. You need to see to say to the CEO, this saves us this amount of hours each month and right. uh, this amount of this much money each month because we don't need to deal with compromised systems as much. And that's what it comes down to. You need to make small little digestible parts of security palatable to them to make them even begin to value it. And they're never going to value it the way you do, period. Perspective doesn't matter. We may have perspective because we're the ones fixing that shit. But they aren't, you know? They're the ones breaking it and not trying to break it. I'm not not saying they're like a curse upon our... um, A plague upon our network or shit like that. It's just... It's not what's on their mind, you know? And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. They weren't hired to be the security team. They were hired to do data processing. They were hired to manage hr they were hired you know like yeah and really got their own shit yeah they've got their own shit so and it's true in the other direction there's probably things they care about that we don't i mean sure sure i i couldn't give 
a rat's ass about budget most of the time, oh, unless yeah. I'm the one actually having to create it, you know? And even then, I hate doing it. So if it's not within the purview of my responsibilities, I'm all for that. Yeah, right? But there are some people who love figuring out budgets. It's, they look at budgets the way we look at, like, I don't know, implementing some new protocol or something. That seems really cool. You know, so it's different priorities to different different people, but, like, I don't think education... We've tried education for so long, and it's not getting us anywhere, is my yeah, point. Right. Like, so I don't think that's the answer. I don't know. So I, I guess we all come out of this conversation the same place we went in, where we we just don't know. <laughs> but but also use multi-factor authentication. Someday someone smart will figure it out. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I'm not holding my breath. Well, I'm not smart, so yeah. I mean, it's gonna take a while, I think. I, I, I don't. I don't think we're gonna really see anything beyond maybe you know you take your smartphone, you lay it on your desk, and then you put your hand on it, and it scans your hand, and you're unlocked. You know, I mean. I mean, they're working on, like, we're kind of there already with biometrics. Yeah, I know. In a sense. But that doesn't make it a good idea. No, <laughs> because I, I, it's You can't change your handprint. <laughs> you can't, you know, so, like. Sure. I don't know. All right, let's. You, you guys want to just move on to the, uh, the yes. second? Okay. Yes. Cool. Because I don't have much else to say on that. Other than, I guess, just use multi-factor authentication. It's the best way to walk out, to walk away from that. Right. So we have a new listener email us. He rocks. Welcome. His name is Matthew. And I want to, you know, I I asked him if it was okay if we gave his first name and talked about this on the air. And he said, yes, it's okay. He'll also be blogging about it. And I'd like to link to that. I don't know if he blogged about it yet or not. But he emailed us with a, a technical question. And it's the first time we got one of these. We get stuff like that passed around in our IRC channel all day long and we all kind of pitch in and give suggestions to what people are trying to figure Mm -hmm. out and all that. But this is the first time someone actually contacted us directly for it. And I I think it's kind of cool. So basically he says, you know, he's running a server for basically like an SMB kind of, that's small, medium business, not Samba. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like an SMB context sort of a thing. It's all on CentOS, either six or seven. He's got a mix between the two. And he kept having one of the servers overloading and crashing. And he asked us, you know, how can I figure out what's going on? Like, I want to, I want to fix it. So I want to find out what the root cause is. And this is kind of a segue into like a larger discussion here about finding root cause. So I can post my, uh, my reply to him. It's pretty lengthy, so I'm not going to read it on air, but you can read it in the show notes. But it's got like some sort of specialized help to the issue he was having. But in general, the way you're going to want to probably approach this is, well, I can tell you how I do it. I start by making sure I recreate the problem. Because if I can't recreate the problem, I know it's client side. So either they're doing something wrong or there is something wrong on their end. And that is, I think, in my opinion, significantly harder to troubleshoot because it's you can't test changes you're making, you know, to to see if the problem's resolved because it's all it's it's on their end. So like you gotta you gotta keep working with them, and it's a communication process, and communication totally drains me. But <laughs> that being said, so I, I start there. I see if I can reproduce it. If I can, awesome. If I can, it, it's gonna take a little bit of back and forth with the client to really kind of get it resolved. But you know, I'm like, okay, let's assume I can resolve it. It's server side. It's definitely within our scope. It's something we need to take care of. From there, depending on what sort of context it's in, I'll probably look at logs. Or in this particular case, the systemd journal, which isn't quite a log. It's a binary log file, just like uh, the last the last login DB. And, you know, it's not the only binary log file on Linux systems. So, but it, it's system level. So I would start there and I would look for errors in the log. Assuming I don't find anything, I'll probably kick out the debug level one or two levels and then try and recreate it again and see if I can catch it in the logs. Usually after that point, I'm going to start grabbing TCP dumps. I'm going to start grabbing like packet dumps and pulling them into Wireshark and like examining them frame by frame and (laughs) reassembling them and trying to figure out there. But that's mostly because a lot of the stuff I'm debugging day in and day out are highly network dependent. Mm -hmm. So that's, I would say like third level, you know, you've confirmed the issue, you're able to reproduce it. You've looked in the logs and you didn't find anything. So that third level, I think, is going to be more specialized. If it's not network related, maybe you'll want to like run a like S trace 
or some or a, a D trace, I guess, if you're on BSD or something. And then from there, usually that's when I start presuming it's a bug. If I don't find it from a packet dump or or an S trace, I am pretty certain that I'm working with a bug at that point. So I'll, I'll file a bug request upstream and, and see where that goes. What is the general process that you guys do with this? Well, I think it always varies, of course, a little bit depending on what you're trying to debug, right? Sure. I mean, if you're talking about a web server where you have very detailed, potentially a very detailed access log, a debug log, you know, not even all debug logs are the same in terms of what information you can get. So I think the first thing is making sure that you fully understand the logging capabilities of whatever you're trying to diagnose or work with. Mm -hmm. If it's something you're unfamiliar with, that doesn't mean you can just say, fuck it. I mean, if it's something that's that's in your environment. terrible at your job. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, This is all under the assumption that you actually want to do your job well. (laughs) Well, some people don't. But (laughs) no, I mean. Get a new job. I would agree. No, you know what I'm saying, though? You know, there's some things that you work with more readily than others. Like, I work with NFS and SMB mounts a lot more often than I work with... Christ, I don't know. Nginx or... um... Yeah, so inherently, I will have seen more problems and in general will be more familiar with issues related to those types of things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always think that's the first thing is... And even before that, actually, if you're interacting with a user... And that's not to say that we always are. And in this case, Matthew was not. He was interacting with himself. But the first thing is, is to make sure if you're interacting with another person who's describing this issue to you, that you actually understand what's going on. Yeah. Because you can't even begin to reproduce it if you don't actually know what the hell's going on. I mean, someone could submit a ticket basically and say, I'm having this problem. This is the error I'm getting. But if you don't know the context, what their environment looks like, et cetera, et cetera, there's so many things that could go into that, that it's impossible to even start troubleshooting. Sure. But even worse than that, though, is when they... They say this thing's broken. Uh, okay, what can you? Oh, yeah. Can you tell me yeah. how it's broken? What behavior are you expecting, and what behavior are you getting? You know, stuff like that. I know I've linked it to the show many times, and I even and I mentioned this before on the show too in the private host channel on IRC, where you know uh, the hosts for the show collude, as it were. Oh, we collude all right. <laughs> in the in the topic, I have a guide that ESR wrote. And, you know, like, say what you want about ESR. He's kind of a controversial figure, whatever. Love him, hate him. He writes some really fucking good guides. And he wrote a guide on how to ask smart questions. And I think it should be required reading for anybody who will be submitting any sort of support request. Because it will get you such good answers. Because it's such a good question. It details out in a very processed way how to give the information to the person answering your question based on what you have and from that information that person is more easily going to give you an accurate answer back and more quickly and and stuff like that it really cuts down on the back and forth and that's one of the things i just don't like about support when i have to is just that back and forth because it feels like you're getting nowhere yeah that can definitely happen yeah but to go a step further since what you actually asked was you know how do i go Mm -hmm. about troubleshooting right i'm gonna speak purely from my perspective as like an hpc admin maintaining Uh clusters because i think that's where i can add some value here the one thing that i know for certain is i have 60 nodes in you know one of our clusters and 30 here and 40 over there whatever but in any one cluster, the environment should be more or less the same across all the things, all the nodes. So if I am, you know, if I get a ticket or I see that some user's job is misbehaving, the first thing I do in almost any case is run it on another node specifically. Within the, the same cluster. Yeah. yeah, because if that, you know, immediately resolves the issue, okay, the next step is immediately take the one that was not working properly, remove it from the queue so no more jobs can run there and start to diagnose from there. That's another thing that's nice if you have like a high availability situation Mm -hmm. if you can fail over to another host or something and you're not experiencing that issue that can be a really quick way to eliminate a whole set of problems and you know especially if you're talking about some kind of physical failover it might almost immediately point to a hardware issue Mm -hmm. now hardware issues that's a whole other story about diagnosing those because that gets fucking tricky but and usually you have to do that in, in like an offline state so yeah But that being said, if I'm having an issue and it exists across the whole cluster, well, you know, the next question for me would be, did this job ever run successfully Mm -hmm. or a job very similar to it? Or is this something that they're trying to do that's brand new? Right. If it worked before, but it doesn't work now, well, 
obviously I have to examine what changed. Exactly. And that's like the VPN situation we talked about at the beginning of the episode. It was working before. It wasn't working now. Obviously, it was related to a change. You knew that you did a kernel update that led you eventually. software update, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to go into too much more detail than that because I don't think there's a whole lot of value in doing so. But those are some very obvious things and some very hopefully obvious approaches to at least getting a very top level view of what might be going on and at least trying to isolate the problem. Yeah. And to tie that into our last episode where we talk about sort of a unification between dev prod test and all that, Mm -hmm. that's why you want to do it. So you cut down on the like half the stack that Jathan mentioned there is usually going to be an area where you don't need to spend a lot of time debugging if your environments are uniform. But, you know, we spent almost the entire of last episode talking about why that's not always possible so which is okay by the yeah, way yeah yeah it's human we, really right yeah i mean we it's realistic we go more realistic yeah we'll go we'll go with that so we go into more detail on that in the in the past episode and i'll, I'll link to it in the show notes but you can just literally click the previous <laughs> thing in the show notes and go right to it what about you payton what what sort of a debug flow do you follow well i do like the one that you linked the yes R method i mean you know it's mm-hmm. You know, like you said, I mean, has it worked before? Has it run before? Has it run before? We need to figure out why it hasn't run before. It has run before. Okay, mm-hmm. well, then let's, you know. It's hard sometimes to, you know, really get a straight answer from users sometimes because they, they don't want to troubleshoot. They just want it fixed, you know, and so. Right. Yeah, especially. And frankly, I don't want to troubleshoot it either. I want it fixed. Too. Right, right, right. So, but, I, but we got to do yeah, it. sure. But we got to sure. do it. So, I mean, I just follow, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I do what I can to follow the uh, the method that ESR did uh, or wrote down, you know, what kind of questions are you asking? How are you asking the questions? You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I try to, you know, think outside the box a little bit and just, you know, what did you do differently this time? Or show me what you've done. Show me how you're mm-hmm. doing it. That sometimes works when they're cooperating when they're not cooperating i just tell them go away (laughs) right i'll figure it out on my own (laughs) well there's the limit like you can only to take your job so far without the data you need from them right especially if you're not able to reproduce it so exactly i mean usually if they send me something like if they send me an email saying hey so-and-so's fucked up you know can you fix it i'll be like sure you know give me a brief rundown and maybe they'll link a picture or something in a Word document, which just drives me nuts. But anyway, I'll be like, okay, great. I can handle it from here. But if I need more information, I usually you know, say, hey, I'll, I'll give you a call if I have any more questions or, or yeah. whatever. You know, that's what I've done in the past when I've done MSP work. So, And it gets really interesting for me because I telecommute and I'm yeah. mostly engineering and operations. I don't really do yeah. customer support all that much at my job. So I'm supporting our staff who are also all remote. So when they're having an issue connecting to the mail server or something like that, that makes it really interesting for me when it's the works for me kind of thing. Right, right, right. Well, we had an issue just just before the show started. Uh, This works for me. Well, it shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. So so like I said, the... When I implemented the VPN, it was to, I guess, before I was using like basic auth to protect some stuff that normal users, we don't want to grant access to. And it was starting to get unmanageable and unwieldy. So I'm like, all right, fuck HTTP auth, because frankly, it's not really that secure anyways. I'm just going to set up a VPN. And I did, but Payton was able to reach some of those resources off the VPN, and it had a flummox for a good bit. I, I still am not certain. That's the word I would use, flummox. Yeah, I'm still not quite certain how it happened, but I think it was because a combination between local caching in your browser, Yeah. and I think when you connected from work mm-hmm. i think they have a caching proxy a transparent caching proxy I, in place. yeah i don't want to i i don't know and i don't want to yeah. conjecture and I'm, i don't expect you to know that either and i'm not asking you to confirm or deny that but that would explain the behavior you're getting it would explain a so. lot <laughs> <laughs> sure so i think that's how that happened uh, and, and it managed to cache a version before i implemented those changes But yeah, everything's fixed now, but that is a good point to bring up. Like, sometimes you'll get hit with a, why does this should, this is working, it should not work, and that's a bad thing. In programming, it's usually the other way around. It's like, this is working, I don't know why, and that's a good thing, I'm just not going to touch it, you know? Exactly. But in operations, that's usually a bad thing. So, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot else to say on this. Does anyone else? No, I mean, I would encourage two things. One, if you've got any further questions, you should ask us like always. Yeah. Two, it was pretty cool that Matthew reached out to us. 
Definitely. I don't think that we can personally be everyone's help desk, but we're always happy mm-hmm. to help where we can. Yeah. On that note, I also had a recent interaction, which thanks for pointing it out, with someone about ZFS send and receive on Twitter. Oh, right. Yeah. And it ended up, you know, it wasn't that constructive. I didn't really contribute anything, but, but at had... the very least, my suspicion about what they were experiencing was right, so I yeah. might know, like, one thing. Well, you had the experience, and it answered the exact question they had, so it was worth it, you know? So you should always, I mean, asking someone else for help is never bad unless it's all you do. <laughs> That's a good way of putting Don't it, Don't yeah. be like me. Try to... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do, like, maybe a Google search or something first, but... Or duck, duck, but go, asking someone to confirm something for you or mm-hmm. double check your work or, hey, have you seen this before? That's not a bad question. Oh, yeah. And Especially... the, uh, the asking questions the smart way document, it mentions that explicitly. It says, like, you know, like, don't just ask someone to do it for you or whatever. Like, try yourself a little bit first. And then asking for confirmation is both a lot quicker on your end and it's a lot quicker on the answerer's end. And it's yeah. probably going to mean a quicker reply, too. I can also tell you, if we don't know the answer to your question, we probably we have a lot of does. fucking Twitter followers, yeah. and we will retweet that shit. <laughs> We've, if we don't know it, we can probably find you someone who does. But I would love to answer more questions on the air. As we stated before, though, like, I'll even fucking answer weird questions, like, where I buy my underwear or something. Like, I don't... Oh, I'm all, I'm about, all about that. Me undies for life, yeah. baby. <laughs> Sure. I was recently hooked on the boxer briefs, you know, the boxers put their on. Shut up. This is underwear administration. Uh, anyway, you know, <laughs> just just to to say, you know, hey, we're willing to talk about this or whatever, you know. Mm. And they're freaking awesome. But you know, that's just me, you know. <laughs> you guys suck. We are we are not being sponsored by we're any not. undergarment we're company, totally but not. Totally not. Totally not. <laughs> I'd like to make that clear, but I mean, I'm not opposed to it, I guess. Hell no, I would fucking do that. Anyways, all that to say, yeah, we're totally down with answering your questions. We only record every other week and we only release and we release a week and a half after we record. So if it's like a high priority question, you might want to grab us on Twitter or in our IRC. IRC is honestly the best. Yeah, because then you're going to get a lot of other people giving input. But Twitter's pretty good too, because I'll probably retweet it at the very least. If you use Facebook, we ignore you. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, don't don't use Facebook. It's going to be like at least three to five days before I even notice a comment was on a post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Twitter or IRC, if you need that real time, But yeah, otherwise, like if it can wait or if you want to ask us recommendations on software and stuff, that'd be a great question to ask for the show. What we do for like, this is a good example, like how we debug is a good question to ask Mm -hmm. because it's 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 something we get to share from our individual perspectives. Yeah. And everybody's method is going to be a little different, but I do think it's a little bit it's partly style. It's partly Mm -hmm. knowing what the hell you're doing. But it is something I think that, yeah, Yeah. it is something though that I think you can learn from somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. You can learn basics and it definitely is good to have like a, to be in like a sort of apprenticeship guru relationship with someone because you don't have so much of the feeling of where do I start? You know, you've got a starting point. The master, the guru will say, this is how I do it. I encourage you to find your own way of doing things, but this is how I do it. So then you can try their way and then make changes to that that suit you or you'll at least have a starting point and you'll be able to ask them why they do what they do in in that particular order and so on and so forth so yeah i mean like relationship sort of experience-based teaching is very important especially when it comes to like processes like personal processes like debugging so yeah i I think that's all i have to say on this i do have one bit to add the issue he was experiencing is fixed the server is no longer crashing and it turns out it was an attempted ddos on php fcgi and he would not fix with fail to ban well i mean it depends how hard he was being hit dude like fail to ban isn't gonna because it just drop drops packets it doesn't stop the traffic you'd have to do that upstream at like the carrier level that's a well i guess that's true but rejecting packets and not replying is usually a pretty yeah, good start that's going to be pretty effective if, especially if it's like a really a relatively small one it was specifically though an attempt to exploit a vulnerability in page fci matthew did have a systems patched good for you matthew I'm, I'm very proud of you i don't mean to sound condescending so i'm sorry if i do but like <laughs> i just am so sick of people not patching their system so i'm very happy that you're patched so you know nobody got successful access successful exploit of that vulnerability and you know he found the issue and was able to resolve it and his systems are no longer crashing and that was due to the original issue of us working through with him ways to get logging fixed or logging accessible i guess 
And really, in his case, he just, uh, it looks like the default in CentOS is to log the journal D files to memory, to volatile systems rather than storage being persistent. So storing them on disk. So it would reboot and he wouldn't be able to access them because they'd be wiped out on reboot, whatever. So it was a simple fix, but there's a lot of other stuff there. And I'll paste my whole reply because why the hell not? But yeah, I, I think that's all, all I have to say. I'm glad Matthew had a happy ending. Yeah. And I'm glad we got a chance to talk about how we generally approach problems we experience. I thought it was pretty awesome to be able to help them out, personally. Yeah, I'm glad it got sorted. Do you guys have anything closing on that, or do you want to go to the baddies? I've got something closing. Yes. While we were talking about underwear, Sisbot pinged Brent I, and said, lighten up. I saw that, yes. It's great timing. That is not great timing, because you set that during a show, too. <laughs> so. Yeah, but we were talking about underwear, so it's pretty cool that he knew. <laughs> Why does it matter what we were talking about when he did, like... Underwear is a light subject. Underwear... I mean, I, what did you... What? I'm wearing black boxer briefs right now, what? so it's not that light, but, like... Whatever. Batty. <laughs> Batty. Batty. That's you, dude. Batty. It's all me. All right. So, yeah. this Batty is not a surprise for anyone who listened to last episode. Mm-hmm. I apologize for that, but I apologize. also think that... Shut up. I'll apologize if I want. <laughs> I also think this is a necessary baddie. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to read this whole article because it's actually pretty long, but it's from USA Today, and you can find plenty of other sources if you want. This is about the great the previous episode. Amazon Web Services outage <laughs> of 2017. So the this first seemed one. to happen... There might be another one. Yeah, that's it's true. still early in the year. So this happened either on February 27th, right? Uh, I forget when exactly but tail end of February, early March, something like that, yeah. Somewhere around there. Whatever. February 27th, February 28th. Amazon had an outage primarily in the northeastern region of the United States. It affected customers worldwide, though. And most notably, why I think this baddie is especially deserved is because... Amazon's own health dashboard was not functional during the outage because it relied on S3, which was out during the outage. (laughs) So you couldn't even go and look at the health report for, like, Amazon Web Services because Amazon Web Services wasn't working. That was honestly the best. (laughs) That's like saying... That's like going to my website, jrdemacy.com, and it just saying, like, this website is down. Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. I, I honestly thought that was the best part of the whole thing. Again, I'm not going to read this whole article. Yeah. You know how we feel in general about the cloud. Yep. I am not going to specifically shit talk Amazon right now, though I'd be happy to shit talk it for various reasons later. And I put it in the errata. They did actually get an incident they did. report up. They did basically give us an incident report, which we predicted they would not, and we compared them to GitLab. Well, we didn't predict it so much as just trash it that they didn't have one up. I would say, like, I mean, to be fair to us, it took them, like, what, like 36 hours? After it was resolved to get it, to even get one up, it was a while. I still appreciate that they put it there. I appreciate that there was some honesty. The way it sounded to me, I actually had a friend who texted me an article about it mm. and basically said something like, "Oh, I bet this guy doesn't have his job anymore." But I actually, I think that based on that report, the person who was responsible, they tried to make it very clear he wasn't acting alone. Mm. He or she, I'm sorry. And you know, I think that's great. Mm. I do like that sort of team mentality. I'm not about to switch to AWS for all of my needs because I don't have any needs for one, but two, if I had any needs, I'd fulfill them myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't have too much to say here unless you guys do, but it's a baddie because you fucked up. It's a baddie because your own dashboard to display the health information was fucked up because your shit was (laughs) fucked up. That's just a whole lot of fucked up. The whole point is like, they're a quote-unquote cloud provider. They should understand why balancing that shit out and like bringing it out of channel is important. That's like, just it. If they were going to host one thing off-site, it should probably be the things that... Describe you know, the stuff that's The thing that describes their yeah. stuff that is on-site. Exactly, yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Like, that's pretty much why this is, this is the baddie. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely not the way to handle it. And I would add to that, not having any sort of incident report up immediately. And at least, uh, like, we're investigating this, or as much as you know. Yeah, I have no qualms. I don't know. I go both ways about that. No, no, no. I I have no qualms giving Amazon this baddie. I don't have an ethical ambiguity or struggle with this one like I did with GitLab. Because GitLab was transparent from the beginning. They said, shit, we fucked up. Here's a document we're updating in real time as we work on this with updates, with status updates right here in this document. But how many companies really do that? Not enough. I will, I will grant that. Well, they don't do Usually. it for host-specific ones, just regions. But if Amazon did that because it was an entire region, yeah, they would have. 
<laughs> they would have had to. But yeah, well, that's part of my point. Is that, like it's not common, but it should be, and that's what I had an ethical ambiguity about with GitLab getting a baddie is because they did what should be done always. So, okay. but yeah, Amazon, you're done fucked up. Maybe next time, don't wait like a day and a half or whatever to tell people what <laughs> went down. You done fucked up. Just so, saying. more importantly, if your shit goes down, at least make sure the dashboard describing the problem is accessible. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we're this is like the fifth time we're harping on this in the same episode, but like it's kind of important and it's kind of funny. Well, you know, I, I wonder the number of people who were like, uh, "Hey, uh, what's uh, what's going on here? Why can't I access this?" And then you know, well, oh, the page yeah. is the page that's reporting the status is down. <sighs> what the hell? Right. You know, right. Like, is it just the status page that's down, or is right. the whole thing actually down? Is it down for everyone, or just me? Oh wait, that's hosted on AWS. Never mind. Right, 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 right. All right, all right, all right. We're gonna we're gonna close this out. We've we've talked about this tons in the last episode too, so I don't I don't want to beat a dead horse. Now, not next episode, not S2E4, but in S2E5, we've got something special planned, and I wanted to mention this Woo-hoo! before we close out, because I need to hold Payton and, and Jathan accountable to this. Uh, we'll be talking about B-Disc. Okay, why don't? B-Disc, <laughs> is, <laughs> B-Disc is the tool I wrote, and I recently rewrote it from Bash and to Python. It is a live media creating suite, I will call it. I will call it a suite. What's suite already? Because it builds, well, S-U-I-T-E, not S-W-E-T. I, I, I know, I know. Okay, I, you're just I, making I, a funny. I'm just being Got silly. It. Carry on, carry on. And the reason I say that, and I will admit, like, it, it's a little bit presumptuous of me, but it's my baby, you know? So, like, I, I work really hard on it. But it's got a lot of really neat stuff on it. Well, it's so useful. Okay. <laughs> it's, it will build a live USB image. Well, it'll build a single image that will that you can DD directly to a USB drive, or a hard drive, for that matter, an internal hard drive. Or you'll also be able to burn it to optical media. It also creates an iPixie setup for you. So you can boot it over iPixie. That's awesome. And if you want, it'll generate a little tiny ISO that you can use the same exact methods on. And it'll boot that constantly updated image over the internet. So you don't have to reburn your media every time you want to update your live media image. It will, and I'm still working on this, but it'll set up like a normal, it'll configure itself to work with a normal Pixie setup, like a, a traditional legacy Pixie setup too. That's cool. That's not quite done yet. It doesn't generate configs for it, but I mean, everything else is done. It, it's, it copies all the necessary, fi- necessary files into a TFTP directory you specify. So it does a lot of stuff. It's super customizable. I've got a lot of great documentation I wrote for it. It's a long ass stock, you know, there's a lot of features and they're all documented. There's a developer guide in it, so if you want to reference some of the functions in there directly and act like treat it as modules, you can do that. Yeah, I'm proud of it, and I like what I've done with it. So we're going to be trying that. We're going to be building our own spins. And since it's multi-purpose, you know, maybe Payton can build like a rescue disk. Jathan can build like, I don't know, an install disk or something. I don't know. Jathan, you want to build like a, a Tails competitor? <laughs> no, fuck that. <laughs> I don't need that. I use Signal. I use Tor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's all I need, baby. Tails is tour. That's like the main cell Not if point. you configure it wrong. Oh <laughs> then you're just using Tails thinking you're sneaky, but you're not. Oh, it, it auto configures, but yeah, touche. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm excited about that. So, so keep your eye on that. We'll talk more in depth about that. And you'll be able to get to see the experiences of people who haven't used it before and see how easy it is to use. Anyways, this has been System Minutes Trivia. I'm Brent. I'm Jonathan. I'm Peyton. High energy. Yeah. Just a quick before we go into the record, remember, this is going to be a smash. You two guys